Hello and welcome back to another episode of For the Love of Franchise. I am Josh and we are diving right in to the spy who shagged me. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Joining me this uh, month, I was going to say week then. We There's week, no way we? we could we could do these weekly. <laughs> On top of all the others, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Joining me this month, as you've heard, is Paul. Hello and welcome. And Tony. Ivana. <laughs> Who? Ivana Humpelot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we are diving into the sequel of the Austin Powers franchise, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Um, not considered by the majority of the fandom to be the greatest one, but personally it is my favourite um, mm-hmm. for, for one reason. And one reason only, which we'll be, we get, we will get into shortly. Um, did we have fun, boys? Or are you on the bandwagon of it's not the best? No, it's I say no. It's just spoiler, spoiler for next month. It's my favourite of the three. Um, oh, good. Um, <laughs> the main note I had written down. It's at the bottom of the page. This plot is totally ludicrous, and that's why I love it. <laughs> it just, as, as Basil says, just go with it. It's just none of it makes much sense, particularly just if you look straight, at... straight at the uh, straight at the camera. That goes for you too. <laughs> there's, there's just there's more plot holes than a sieve in it. It's just, but it doesn't matter any of it. It's just wonderfully <laughs> ludicrous. The, the the best bit about uh, the fact that like the plot does not make sense is um when Austin's in the car about to time travel and he goes, yeah, but what happens if this happens and then I do that and then I do that and then he goes, oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. I've gone cross-eyed, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, just straight off the bat, the first thing is, how did they build the other end of the time tunnel in the 60s in the first place? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great film and I don't know why it's... I mean, I wouldn't say it's hated on particularly, but it's like, oh, you're going to watch Austin Powers, you either watch the first one or Goldmember, because I'd say Goldmember's probably the most polished. But I think Which Gold for Member, me is its biggest problem. Yeah, exactly. That is my gripe with it with, as well. With Goldmember. And not only that, is it, it soon becomes apparent that he's overdone the amount of characters that he's playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Goldmember as well. Yeah, and in fact, I suppose we should sort of talk on the characters and ask them about fun. And the fat bastard isn't as funny as I remember him at the time. It's just no, a lot of things. He's riffing, he's riffing, and he's ad libbing. A lot of it's just complete nonsense he's coming out with. And it, <laughs> it's funny for me. Oh, that... See, I, I rather enjoy them. I, I enjoy him more in this one than. Gold member simply because he his more iconic lines come from this film. The the I think the only um the only iconic line from Gold member that he delivers is uh, when he gives Beyonce the um, the sumo diaper and he goes I left a rosebud in there for you like that's it <laughs> that's like that's the only one in this um it's singing I want my baby back ribs. It's um, where's my money? I ate a baby. Uh, I've had bigger chunks of corn in me shite. Like, 
the, literally every, every line out of his mouth in that character is yeah. gold and memorable. Maybe in bit I just didn't find funny. I mean, did I laugh at that the first time, right? Because it's just like... yeah, it, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Watching mm. it because See, it's think... it's very of its time. I yeah, he's whereas Austin and even Doctor Evil. You could just put in a film now, yeah, and you wouldn't have to change them. No. There's no way he'd get away with writing Fat Bastards as he does as he did then if he did it now. I mean, what is it just over a decade, 15, 12 years, somewhere? yeah, like? something like and that. Yeah, yeah, changed, changed so much in that decade. So, um, so you, so would you go with the like Fat Bastard would probably be the character that would be cut out of an Austin Powers 4? Yes. Yeah, I would imagine. I couldn't see him bringing it back. No. So okay. So if he, do you, so do you think if he didn't cut it and he he stood his ground and said no, I am bringing this character back, but I'm going to write him slightly differently. Do you think mm. the writing? Well, obviously, depending on how he did it. Do you think the writing to kill the character completely? The, pro- or... the problem he would have if he did that would it would be Shrek. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and the fact that also, I mean, not um, jumping too far ahead, but he's not actually a fat bastard by the end of the franchise. No. <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah, so and we're not even talking about him. I mean, because it, it wouldn't fly now with him being a fat bastard, but I mean, the, the name itself is quite clever in that respect. The, the, the kind of stuff that he does is fun, like like leaving the big shitter and things like that. That's <laughs> but it, it, it's just the, the bits where Mars is given free reign just to come out with the stuff he does. Because it's not gags so much; it's just him just spewing bizarre stuff out of his gob, and then. And, and yeah. really, he's he's not really needed, is he? It could have been anybody. No. Mm. No. Could could uh, have like brought back the Irish um, hitman from the last. Yeah, it could um, have been any. It could have been any of his team. Yeah, it could have been number. It, it, it could have been number two. Yeah. yeah, it could have been, but I would also say that if you think about it, if we hadn't have had Fat Bastard, I personally don't think we'd have had Shrek. Mm. And no, I, I really don't because I think don't be wrong, you know, the voice could have been any any Scottish. Well, I mean, actor. I mentioned on the last record. I mean, he's already done a Scottish character in um, so I married an axe murderer. Yeah, in um, the grandfather was he? I think possibly or the dad. His dad wasn't it? That's right. Um, so he, he he cut his teeth on doing a Scottish makeup character. So yeah. Um, no, see, I, I I don't think we'd have had Shrek if we hadn't have had Fat Bastard because I think when he did, um, I think I think this film came out in '99 if I remember rightly, hmm. and then basically Shrek came out two years later. So if you think about it. Austin Powers would have been on his mind potentially writing a sequel, but then Shrek comes about and he goes, right, I've got to think of a, a voice for this character. Austin Powers is in his head. And he thinks of Fat Bastard and goes, I'll just do Scottish. Hmm. I mean, but, any, but, but anyway, that aside, I mean, I, yeah, I think I just think I'm really good fan with this film. I mean, like I said, there's just so many wonderfully nonsense stuff. I mean, like... Another one that just sprang into mind is the fact that his teeth go back to what they were. Why does the teeth <laughs> just change when he goes back to the past? It's not, it shouldn't have 
really bearing on his physicality. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just plot hole after plot hole, but they're plot yeah. holes that you laugh at because it's a spoof film. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and, and that's that's what makes it perfect. It's not it's not only the fact that they're spoofing a, a pre-existing film genre, it's the mm. fact that they're spoofing the time spoof. travel and stuff as well. Yeah, there's all the, the rules of time travel and the stuff as well. And that. Yeah, um, it's, it's and so that kind of brings me to my biggest issue. And it's it's not that it's a, a bad film or anything. I still love watching it again. At times, it it really does feel like a pastiche of what we've seen before. But then it also kind of tries to intersperse its own things into it. Whereas yeah, the first yeah. one was just we're just going to take the piss out of Bond and, and <laughs> that's going to be it. We're going to make that funny. Whereas this kind of tries to add its own bits, like some of the musical numbers. And of course they do it again in the third one. Um, mm. And that kind of feels out of place at times because it doesn't really fit does, the genre. I think, I think with Goldmember, it kind of worked. Um, yeah. Especially the one where the um, Dr. Evil and Minnie Mae are in prison. Yeah. Like that, that one worked, but like the, yeah. the just the two of us bit for this yeah, one, we're all on the yeah. same, literally on the same page there. Then I think because, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things I pulled out of the film that it just in this one, particularly, it, it's one of the bits that doesn't work for me. It's, yeah, I didn't fast forward them, but you're almost itching to fast forward them because they don't really they don't yeah. add a lot to the experience of the film. Um, no. And not particularly funny either. I don't think other than the bit where Scott walks past him and he gives him the body shake. That's yeah. I'll I, I tell you what, um, just speaking of Scott, I think the funniest bit of Seth Green in this entire franchise is um, the Jerry Springer bit. The Jerry Springer <laughs> bit is fantastic. I'd it's completely perfect. forgotten that was in there. It's yes, perfect. So, Absolutely well, um, perfect. Well, to be honest, um, I, I thought it was going to be in Goldmember. And then yeah. it come on this, and I was like, "Oh, it's in this one." Yeah, but um, it, the, it, it's the, the fact that it's it's the yeah. fact that Jerry actually gets properly involved in it, like, and <laughs> to an extent, Jerry actually spoofs his own show in the yes. he gets involved in a in a fight. He he, yeah. he pretty much never got involved in the fight on the actual show. <laughs> and it's the, and the, that wonderfully effect way that um. Doctor Evil fights with that witty sort of chest and that. Oh, I love that. And, yet, and don't get me wrong, there there are some truly great bits in this as well. The the one thing I wanted to bring up that they kind of didn't do with the first one is those very sixties interstitial cuts. Yeah, in between yeah, scenes of him just dancing across the screen. Yeah, because of course they've, they've swapped out Ming T, haven't they, in this one? Yeah. Just for those, those cuts. And I think they actually probably work a little bit better. Yeah, and, and they use a, a much more like 60s soundtrack in this one. It's not kind of they've yeah, gone out like and recorded it in the there. studio. Yeah, they, there's a lot of songs that were actually from the 60s in this one, um, which I think works great. Um, and yeah, there truly are some great moments through this um i'd also completely forgotten that it was the madonna soundtrack on this one yes, as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah until yeah, it started 
Yeah, cause a fr- I was speaking to a friend of mine last night. Said, "Oh, I I watched the second Austin Powers for for the recording tonight," and um, he said, "Oh, funnily enough, because uh, he works in a record shop, he said, uh, oh, funnily enough, we've got um, like uh, a Madonna vinyl that's just come into the store." He said, and uh, one of my mates passed the comment that it was in the Austin Powers film, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I remember hearing it in the film, yeah." Yeah, and of course he was in the video for it as well. Yeah, right, he was. Yes, yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the one other thing I did have fun with um, was the um, the one the, the sort of the film references he threw, like, like the, 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 the "I'm your father" stuff was funny, <laughs> and and also the chess game with um, Kristen What's Her Face um, from Third Rock on the Sun," because which is basically based on the Thomas Crane affair, I think, where they're playing chess. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Jokes on a chess piece. No. <laughs> no, the what the, the one for me was when um Doctor Evil's telling everyone his uh, his big evil plan, and he say say that we're going to put a giant laser on the moon, effectively yeah. turning it into a Death Star. Yeah. And just everything everything he says is a film reference, and Scott just yeah. pisses himself laughing. Oh, But then on that on that note, we get the second, um, in a trilogy of moments and and gags and this one is better than the last it's just brilliant he comes up with gag after gag after gag for this one it's brilliant <laughs> yeah the, the, the zip it scene is quite funny as well <laughs> <laughs> but you really I, feel I've got got to talk about one character that was added for this film um and that is Vern Troyer's mini me. Oh yes, yeah. That is just a perfect yeah. a casting b character to put in. It's just like genius. Yeah, the fact that the, the the silhouette comes behind the screen, <laughs> and then they lift yeah. the screen up, and they go, "Except he's one eighth your size," and he literally goes, "Holy shit!" <laughs> oh, but, and he's just the whole. The whole thing with 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 Brent's character and that with many with like sort of eating his trying to eat the cat and 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 <laughs> and, he, and his animosity towards um to Scott is just brilliant. <laughs> Seth Green and him that that sequence across the table is just brilliant. It's it's the fact that he just puts the middle finger up to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it, is, the, the, it is for me though that he is the most awkward part of this film. Be- yeah, because again, there's so many small people jokes that right, yeah, it just and especially the way the characters set up as well that he doesn't talk, he kind of doesn't get to give it back other than sticking his finger up. <laughs> it it does kind of feel like he was just put in there for a joke, but then saying that. It's amazing when you go back and watch these and think he's not in the first film. Yeah. Mm. Because he became such a, a solid part of the franchise. Yeah. That you look at it and you go, how the hell was he not in the first film? <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah do, you, do you remember, Tony? He went through a period of doing conventions before yes. he passed away. Yes, and, he did. and I saw him at one. Uh, he was there with his supermodel girlfriend who was about six foot tall. <laughs> um, of course he was, and he was he was eating a baguette that was bigger than him. Yeah, 
incredibly um, busy and popular as well. He, he just yeah, he was really sort of um, touched a nerve with, with with the fan base. I think. And of course, this isn't the first film we've talked about that he's in. He was in the first Harry Potter film. Yes, he was. Mm. He was great. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, and they yeah. replaced his voice with with Warwick. Yeah. Before actually replacing him physically in the next film. That's terrible, that, because if you think about it, um, in the final film, when Warwick Davis plays Professor Flitwick and Grip Hook, like, what was wrong with having a bit of... It was American. Well, yeah, but, like, could they not have just done what they did in the first film and just say to them, look, we want you in it because, you know, you're Vern Troyer, but, you know... We're gonna dub your voice because you're not unless he can do a good English accent. You know, get get Mike Myers to give him some lessons in Scouse Scouse Griphook. I'm starting the campaign now. Scouse Griphook. <laughs> um, we also not well. We not well. We kind of not so much a new character, but a younger version, which I thought was inspired to bring back Rob Lowe. And it's it, just the way he delivers that line, Mojo, just really increases. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that he does it off screen and then walks into picture after he's yeah. done it. Yeah, <laughs> and it just, it, but it's brilliant, sort of him playing a younger version of, of Robert, effectively as well. Um, yeah, it's just so well done. And, and on that note, I suppose we have to talk about the the multiple cameos throughout this this film. Yeah. Yes. Of course, you get the double music cameo this time with the, the returning Burt Backrack alongside uh, Elvis yeah. Costello this time. Um, we get Willie Nelson. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, the returning Will Ferrell for all of yeah. about 30 seconds. Um, and then the ones at the end completely took me by surprise because I'd forgotten over there. Obviously, Woody Harrelson being the obvious one and a very young Jennifer Coolidge as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and and Tim Robbins is the sort of archetypal sixties president as well. I think he's just genius. Yeah, yeah, uh, and earlier on, obviously Rebecca Romin as well. Hmm. Playing herself, yeah. I th- I think like this was the film where like everyone had obviously seen the first one and it had gone just gone galactic yeah. in popularity, and then he announces he's doing a sequel. So the world and his wife, actor wise, says to their agent get me in the next fucking film. I don't care if it's a 30-second cameo or a play myself. I just don't care. Get me in that film. Yeah. And, of course, we also had that brief return of Liz, which threw me when I went to see it at the cinema because, of course, Heather was all over the posters and the trailers. And then the film starts with Liz Hurley. Yeah. (laughs) Do not see that coming. What what makes me laugh about that entire sequence is how quickly it shrugged off the the fact that she was a robot all along. And you go, yeah, I don't know. And he's like, "Oh, okay, then, fair enough, right?" Next, even even as much as he does it as well. Yeah, yeah. Once he stops her, and he just goes, oh, "I guess I'm single again." Then, <laughs> and then we're into <laughs> titles. Boom. <laughs> uh, and we have to. I, I think we have to talk about those titles as well because we praised the uh, the moving naked scene in the first film. Yeah, yeah this I mean, just, just doubles down on this one. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, he might as well have just put a blade thing over his crotch and his backside, which is technically what he did, and then put people's names in front of it. But it's it, it does so one I mean, like, that initial the one scene. with the um, 
the wind, the, the windmill and the baby's hand. With the baby. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one going along the dinner table. Oh, they pass yes. different oh, things God. along. Yeah. With the, the baguette and then the big piece of Jewish meat. Yeah. Just, oh, it's just. And, and on the, the Liz Hurley note, one of my favourite lines is right at the beginning. It's the machine gun job place. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh I love that one. And the face he pulls when she says about foreplay. <laughs> the, the the thing that like made me giggle is only a little tiny bit in that bit when she is firing at him. Um, it's it's he comes up from cover to grab his Swedish made penis and large and yes. kiss. <laughs> just the, just oh. that one little callback to the first film, other than the fact that Liz Hurley's in it. Um, I, I love the bit later on with Basil saying, "Yes, we knew all along." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's the fact that he's looking and he just shrugs as well and goes, "Yeah." Again, I mean, down. that ties back into what I said at the start about this top plot making sense. So I'd written down what happened to the real Vanessa then, because there clearly was one because she had a mum. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened to the real one? People just birthing robots in the in the seventies. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke shit. Uh, so well tell you what speaking of the I was going to say the Bond girl actually but that's not right the Powers girl let's say um, Heather Vaughan Jesus Christ oh, yeah, yeah. oh my incredible oh, to be honest like I, like I said at the top of the record that is the main reason she is the main reason that this is my favourite Austin Powers film like just Every time she's on screen, I'm not even following the plot. I mean, I know what the plot is anyway, but I'm not following anything that happens. I'm just looking at her. And, it's and, and you can't say it's a great performance. No, it's not brilliant. But it's but, just, and is it going to be? Like, a bond, is a Bond girl's performance great? No. Yeah. But it's just more the character and, and the way that she sort of delivers those fruity lines with her with a wink and a not and a sparkle in her eye. Um, well, the thing is, she she clearly knew what she signed up for. She knew it was a spoof, so she delivered it like yeah. a comedy. Yeah, and when she sort of shagged very well by reputation. <laughs> yeah, like she she could well. Just on that note, um, I'm assuming you guys know what she was gonna be doing had she not have signed up for this film. No, what, what, what was she due to do? I think I possibly might have remembered this and forgotten it. She was seriously considering taking a part in a lesbian porn film. That's just mental. And yeah. the fact that um, Mike Myers actually got in touch with her because he'd seen her in one thing and said, Liz Haley can't do the next film because of scheduling conflicts. I want it. So oh, that's he, why they wrote her out then, was it? Ah, I didn't know. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that bit. So, so basically, she she was able to do the sequel, but um, the studio didn't greenlight it till, like, literally lastminute.com. Mm. And Liz Haley said, I'm really sorry, but I cannot do the sequel. I have got scheduling conflicts and I'm committed to these other films. So Mike Myers went away, re- rewrote the script that he'd originally written, and um, wrote the initial scene that we get uh-huh. where she's a femboss and said, look, can you come like just come on the days. weekends or something and film this? So and then got Heather Vaughan in, but um, yeah, she was going to be in a lesbian porno, 
And then Mike Myers rang and she said, absolutely. Cool. So there's your little uh, fact for this record. And I think the <laughs> only thing I recall seeing her in possibly before that was probably Lost in Space. Which well, I, see, I, I haven't even seen her in that. 97-ish, 96-ish Lost in Space. 95. So was that the, the the first or the five million three boot of that show? That that was the big screen version of um, with Gary Oldman as Doctor Smith, ah and, uh, right, William Hurt as the as the father, um, and Joey Tribbiani. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you boy! Yeah. And, like, that was, it was it was the back end of the nineties, wasn't it, Paul? Ninety six, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it was somewhere. I think he just signed his new contract for Friends after their initial one. Yeah. Which was, and it was expected that he was coming off the back of this huge first couple of seasons of Friends, and yeah. this was going to be his like his big screen breakout. And then, because and then that's the that's the first thing I saw Heather Graham in, and I probably that didn't really see her in a lot then until until the Austin Powers came on. So she, because she a lot one of those careers where I probably didn't see a lot of her early stuff. I suspect. Well, yeah. considering what her early stuff could have, could have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, she'd been in, at that point, she'd been in Swingers. Oi, oi. Yeah. Uh, and fun. Boogie Nights. <laughs> and amazing, I've never seen Boogie Nights. I really need to yeah. rectify And then Boogie she was Nights in... Boogie Nights is definitely something else that I've seen her in. Definitely. Yeah, and then she did Scream 2 as well. Yes, uh, yes. Oh, I, I forgot seen. about that. Yes, yeah, she she's a briefly in that. Of course, she is. Yeah, yeah, she's in one of the um, opening sequences because um, she's in the. Um, well, she's in the opening sequence because she's she's playing the um the Casey Becker part in Stab with the film within the film. Oh right! In the second screen, yeah. Oh, okay. Are you seeing yeah, and- the screen films, Josh? Um, I've seen one, two, four. I was right. planning on going to see the. I was just the, thinking about another possible title we could do. Then that was all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I was planning on seeing the new one. Um, all ah, right, okay. But I, I I don't know because yeah, but yeah, but I, that's right. Yeah, she was in she was in the um the stab sequence within the second. Oh, right, okay. Um, I feel like I'm gonna have to go and rewatch them now. Um. <laughs> So is is there anything else that you guys thought didn't work in this film? Um, I know we've touched on like one or two little I don't want to say nitpicks because obviously Paul you well, can't like I mean, there's stuff for me that didn't work. Um there um there is a couple of things that did work brilliantly for me though. One of which is the sequence in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my favourite sequences in anything, anywhere. It's just, especially with you, you heads with the fucking gerbil. <laughs> you can't beat a bit of physical comedy, in my view. And shadow <laughs> comedy as well. He's just genius way to do yeah, it. Yeah. You, you, because... <laughs> the guys you, all being stick outside. <laughs> well, I mean, you can say the funniest joke ever to be invented on this planet, but I think if I think physical comedy will trump anything that comes out of anyone's mouth. Yeah. Like, like I, I would much rather watch the Monty Python fish slap dance sketch than, like, the two Ronnie's mastermind sketch. 
Because mm. okay. I, 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 I just think someone getting whacked in the face with a dead fish is funnier than spouting a load of stuff. It, I do, it's just oh, makes man, me... Oh, you've lost me now, mate, because I love that. That that and four candles are two of the funniest things ever. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> but in a similar... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to bring up on the, the physical comedy moments that when he's being shot at and he keeps using the same person as the, the shield, <laughs> at every turn, that same person is there and he literally just moves them. The bazooka. The bazooka. <laughs> It's um, when he turns around to it and goes, why won't you die? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, got a familiar face doing the shooting as well in that sequence, Paul. Uh, yeah. From Lost and The Blob. I think he played Blob, didn't he? Yes, he did. There's a few as well. Earlier on, there's there's a cameo from Kate Lockley's dad from Angel as well. <laughs> in, the, in the armed forces, right in that opening sequence, you know, when they keep filling in the... The words, the different yeah. words to, about the spaceship. He's yeah. in one of those scenes as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, uh, well, I, I've just got to touch on that scene. Then, just uh, speaking about the the bit about the giant penis in space. It, it just every the first bit and the bit at the end is just brilliant, and the fact that they they basically wrote that first bit, and it because that's quite short. That first bit. Then, because they showed it to a test audience and they absolutely wet themselves laughing watching that bit, they said, we need to go and film a second bit because mm. we're going to get even more laughs. So they wrote the second part where he he blasts back off into space. And he's the, the ruder one, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and I'm not being... It's, it's better the second time round and then even third time round because we get it again in gold, member. But there's there's there are so many of these little and the one gross out of course with the coffee which we hadn't mentioned it's just absolutely <laughs> vile. But so it tastes because it is shit. No, it's where he goes. It's a bit nutty. That's what. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's the face that he pulls when he kind of like he's got it up his nostrils. Yeah, he's got it in I between his everything. teeth as well. Remember everything in the cinema just being completely grossed out when he's that bit. <laughs> Brilliantly done. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. As you can tell, I really enjoyed watching this again. Just, there's so many little stupid moments. In. <laughs> it's it, it's it's more silly. It takes itself a lot less serious than the first one. Yes. But I, I do wonder whether that's what prompted them to go a bit more polished, like we said, for the third one, which is what results in potentially a worse film. Mm. I don't want to yeah. say downright awful because it's not. No. It's got some fantastic I'm, I'm, moments. We'll, we'll chew the cut on it more a little bit next month anyway. Won't yeah. We? So, uh, yeah. So I think that wraps it up, unless you guys have got any more points you want to bring up. No, I think I'm, not, I'm good. No? I yeah. think we'll, uh, we'll go for some scores now. Uh, we start off with you Paul? Yeah, for me, I as I said, I just found at times that it mixes itself up a little bit where it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Yeah. Uh, and only for that matter, I still think, and I'm going to spoil it now, I think the first one is still the best one. I think it was so fresh out of the bag. Um, so unexpected. Um, whereas this one, as I say, kind of 
it found itself in the first film and then felt like it needed to change it up a little bit, which is fair enough. Um, at times, I just found it didn't quite tally up as a yeah. whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that note, and it's not a bad score, I, I'm going to give it a 79. Okay. So just slight, well, slightly yeah, lower than that. the first one. I thought you were going to go in the 60s then for a worry. No, 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 not at all. It literally just struggles to tally itself up at times. Uh, Outside of that, there's some... Mike is great in in both the main roles. Um, The introduction of more Seth Green is is never a bad thing either. I I think he he should have had a better career than he's had. And I think think it's through choice more than anything. Um, yeah. that his career never went through the roof. Um, uh, and, and the cameos as well, I think, uh, are great. Um, as you say, Rob Lowe's a perfect addition. Um, and even the storyline itself, I think, is really good. It's a really mm. clever idea to kind of juxtapose it with something that isn't physical normally yeah. uh, and kind of make it seem like it is when... Really, by the end of the film, you can tell that it isn't. It was all in Austin's head yeah. that he was missing something. Um, and I really like that. And yeah, it just at times doesn't quite know what it is. And that's what's, what's knocked okay. the scores off for me. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Tony? Yeah, for me, this was one of those occasions where... Uh, the sequel kind of just outdoes the first of me in terms of just it ramping things up. But but like you say yourself, it, it knows it's it's ridiculous and it goes with it. It doesn't play it pro face. It just it accepts the ludicrousness of the plot and plot points and some of the characterizations. Um, and I say that all those sort of comedy set pieces, I think, and I think there, there are more of them in this one as well, which I think helps it out. Um, and I just find it's a really fun sequel and, and score wise. I'm going to have to probably go around 85%. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Yeah. Um, Like I said at the top of the episode, um, this is my favourite film. um, And for one reason only. But that does not... um, How do I put this? That does not completely inform my score. This film is fantastic in its own right, not just because of uh, Heather Graham. But um, I I actually have two scores for this and I'll explain why. The first reason is a score that I genuinely think it is. The second one is because I can't remember what I gave the first one and I think (laughs) my score should be higher than whatever I gave the first one. So the score that I think it genuinely should be is 87. And I whatever I gave the first one, go about three points higher than that. And whichever (laughs) of those two is higher, that is my actual score for this film. I concur with that reasoning. That's fair enough. (laughs) Maybe maybe we should just do the obvious thing of like going back and listening to the previous one. Yeah, we should actually. I don't. I mean, oh, you know, you could write notes. Yeah, I'm not (laughs) gonna lie. I I wing I wing these ones. I won't lie to you, but my scores are genuine. My thoughts are genuine, but I do not write notes because mine tend to go in the recycling. I, well, and the reason the reason I don't go back and listen is because I can't stand the sound of my own voice listening back to it. 
it just knocks me sick. Honest to God, it does. So I can't, it's I, not. It's not easy for us, so I can totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I think that brings. Uh, <laughs> I think that brings this episode to a nice little close. <laughs> uh, before we all get sick of listening to ourselves. Uh, so we will be looking at the final film in uh, the Austin Powers franchise next <laughs> month. Um, and on a personal note, um, it will quite possibly be my last episode. Um, I am going off to do a professional qualification, which is unfortunately going to take up quite a considerable amount of time. Um, so I will be dialing back quite a bit. My duties um, with all the podcasts that I'm on, uh, but I have promised the fellas that if there are any topics that I am in dire need of weighing in on, if someone's done a massive fuck up with a film, um, if something's gone wrong that I don't like, or they've done something I don't like, and I want to have a rant about it, um, <laughs> I will be more than happy to jump on and make my opinion. <laughs> If, yeah, if, I, if, I had a, if I've had a bad day in the office, a bad month, and I want to have a rant about a comic book film or a film franchise, <laughs> I am going to be on here giving it the bifters <laughs> and being oh. a complete arsehole. Otherwise, we'll just see if Craig's free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, either way, there will be a, a slight <laughs> shortage of scouts. Um, it, but I am absolutely well up for being on as much as I possibly can, but I will be dialing back for a, a short amount of time. Well, as long as my qualification takes. So um, in advance of next month's episode, I want to thank everyone for an amazing five. Well, no, it's probably more than that now, isn't it? It's probably about yeah, seven slightly years. more. Yeah. Yeah. It's about years, se- yeah. Yeah. About seven years that I've been doing this um, from our very first episode reviewing Daredevil, uh, season one on Netflix. Um, I have had an absolute whale of a time doing all of these. And I could not have made two better friends. Uh, I could not have had a better experience meeting some fantastic people, interviewing people who've worked on Marvel properties. And I want to say thank you mainly to you two guys for given me this opportunity no worries enjoy it more than welcome mate yeah. so yeah <laughs> so uh, that wraps this episode up and we will catch you all next month for my final episode and the final episode reviewing the austin powers franchise <laughs>